Yo, check us out. Chuck, the public enemy. Yo, what's up? This is DJ Yellow from the world's most dangerous group. What's up? This is DOC, the Diggy Diggy motherfucking doc. Yo, 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 what's up? This is your boy, Z, man. What up, dog? This is E-Shot. This is Jerry Heller, motherfucker. This your boy, DJ Paul, KOL for 360 Young Busy Ball. Vice World. This your man, Matt, mine the hell raise up. Yo, this is DJ Ready Red. What up, what up, what up? This is the real Rick Ross, and you're listening to me on the Murder Master Music Show. but I'm going to give him one anyway because this man's career spans, you know, several decades. I mean, we're talking about somebody who started in the 70s breaking hip-hop records. I mean, he has hundreds of gold and platinum and multi-platinum plaques. I mean, he's just one of the guys from the West Coast that really helped kick things off, you know what I'm saying, along with other greats like, you know what I'm saying, Greg Mack. Um, man, I'm talking about Todd Surti Welch, man. How you doing, brother? Hello, man. Man, thank you for uh, calling into the show tonight. Uh, your history speaks for itself. Um, man, let's take the listeners back, man. Uh, take us back to when you were in eighth grade breaking hip-hop records before anybody. Well, I got lucky, man, because my cousin... Which, uh, you know, she had a little friend. And we were like, shit, we were in grade school. Anyway, so uh-huh. I had a crush on a little friend, right? A little friend named Lydia, this Latina little hottie. So I DJ for my cousin's party, and she was there. But Lydia had an older sister named Sissy, and Sissy was dating one of the dudes at the radio station. So they they had just started the radio station like in December of 78. It was a country format, but at night, we jammed hip-hop. I mean, not hip-hop. We jammed funk, soul, uh, old school, and oldies. Hip-hop wasn't around then. Um, so what happened was 
um, she brought dude to hear me DJ because I used to imitate like Wolfman Jack and right like whenever I went to New York I'd imitate Frankie Crocker was like one of my idols you know and yeah. um, and I'd imitate these guys because you had that the XPRS radio that boomed out of Mexico that, that I mean they they didn't play hip hop or they played they didn't really play a lot of black music but they played some jams they played a lot of oldies. But I used to imitate them, so Sissy brought him over to me, to uh, listen to me. He's like, dude, you're pretty good, man. He said, why don't you call me and Dan at the station tomorrow? And I'm like, all right. So I called over there, and they're like, go ahead and come by, man. You want to come out here? And I'm like, yeah, I'll go out there. So a dude named Dan Bigelow was kind of running. Um, I guess he was the program director at the time. Um, and Ruben had us, you know, him and Ruben partnered up and had a specialty show because Ruben owned the record store. So anyway, I answered the phones the first night. This is uh, like the end of December in 78. Answered the phone the first night. And the next night, they're like, yo, you want to you wanna get on and talk? And as soon as they put me on, bro, <laughs> phone lines went fucking nuts. It was crazy, man. So it's like, you know, all kinds of calls. Like within three weeks, I was running that shit. Dan got another job. Um, and it was just me and, and Miss Jones, you know, and she was the owner of the station. Oh, little old white lady, man. She didn't really care for hip-hop, dude. She thought it was a fad. She's like, you know, it's going to fade out. But anyway, the first hip-hop record, you know, I, I learned when between that time in December and, like, March, I learned how to get free records, man. I got a call from Dick Griffey, which owns Solo Records. He's like, dude, I've been trying to call your station for two hours. And he's like, man, you guys are jamming. I got to get you some of my music. And I'm like, well, he's like, when can I come down? I said, well, dude, in the daytime, I'm in school. <laughs> I said, but uh, I can go see you. I can go to L.A. I can get a ride from one of my friends or uh, one of my cousins or somebody. So anyway, I got a ride to L.A., met with him, and he taught me, and he introduced me to a gang of people in the, the record industry, like OGs, like Rick Noon, like Ken Wilson, and Suze Garber, Don Carter, Stephen Canfield. These are all the OGs, man. Um, you know, Marvin Hunt. And so in fast forward to March, I think it was the second or third of March in 79, I was at Polygram and Polygram distributed Spring Records, which Spring Records was Stephen Rifkin's uncle and his dad owned that label. Um, that's what Steve said. Steve was a little kid still. Um, but anyway, so I got a white label promotional copy. They used to issue out these white label test presses. They call them test presses. And you get that on vinyl. I got the white label test press of the King Tim, I mean, I'm sorry, the Fatback 12 album, which had King Tim the Third as an album cut. And see, back in those days, you know, like, like K-Day you know, and like us, K-Day wasn't around yet, though. But like us, our station, the AM signal, that's when AM dominated FM. And, and FM wasn't nothing, you know, it was, it was, but AM, you could, that shit would boom. I mean, you could hear that, like our station covered 14 counties. And if we didn't turn the signal down at night, that shit would boom into Idaho. We'd get calls sometimes. I forget to turn it down at night, uh, the transmitter, and they'd be like, dude, you're drowning us out, man, because it was one of those powerhouse AM stations, uh, the most powerful one in, in Central Valley between L.A. and the Bay at the time. Um, so, you know, fast forward to that night on in March. As soon as I came back from Polygram, I had a show that night. So I'll, I listened to the album. I always used to listen to the records I get before I went on the air. And I listened to that shit, and I heard that cut off the album. I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to play this shit, man, because this is different, dude. I mean, I thought it was kind of cool. Uh, you know, if you listen to it now, it's not one of the, the greatest raps of all time. It's kind of corny, but that was the first rap that was on Wax. 
So that night, I debuted that record, and my phones went crazy, man. That was before Sugar Hill Gang, before Super Rhymes, before all that shit. Um, and it was, like I said, it wasn't even a single. It was an album track, cause, and that was in March. Sugar Hill Gang didn't even come out with their record. I think it was till July or August of that later on that year. So that was really the first time that I got into radio, man. And then, you know, we just started banging. Everybody claims... I used to be real humble about this shit, man, but I got tired of these fake-ass podcasts and these fake interviews, people saying they did shit that they never did. You know, I just had to check one of the biggest PDs in L.A. Um, about being the first and the youngest. I'm like, man, miss me with that, bro. I was 13 years old, you know. Um, but everybody out here knows that, man, you know. So yeah. everybody that's in the it's, station. It's set in stone. I mean, you know, you, you broke, like, the, the first hip-hop record, you know what I'm saying, the West Coast, before any of this started. I mean, this is before Uncle Jam's Army. This is before, um, you know what I'm saying, obviously the Wrecking Crew, any of that early West Coast hip-hop stuff, you you predate yeah. that, but you are also there to witness the rise of all that, too. You saw the birth and the rise of Ice-T in his career. I mean, that, that's exactly. really amazing, man. Um, <clears throat> let's talk about him for a little bit, man. Um, Ice, you know, he's 65 and still rocking stages. Uh, take me back to the early days of Ice-T. Like, what do you? What were your first impressions of him, and what do you I, remember about him? I met Ice-T in L.A. Uh, like when he first started way back in the day. And I remember Ice-T, I mean, he was signed to uh, – I don't know if it was his own label, but everybody had to go through McCola, man. McCola yeah. Records was the shit. That was the distribution company back in the day. You had to go through them. And and if anybody tells you they're an old-school DJ, bro, and if they didn't have a box with Chuck Rush in them at CRD, which was California Record Distributors, they're full of shit. Or the radio station, the radio and the record labels, or the record labels didn't consider them real DJs. You had to have a box at CRD. I used to go down there like every two weeks and pick up Tons of records, man, you know, and uh, that was kind of like, you know, then we, we eventually we ended up starting a record pool, but me and Roger Clayton, Uncle Jam, but, uh, and, and that became like, you know, it, the, re the reason we started that is because there was a one pool director. There was like, you had the, the dance music pools, you had the hip hop and R&B pools, what they call them, the black record pools. So we were one of the black record pools and I wasn't one of the originators that I was way later. Um, Impact, Danny James, you know, Sure, VIP, Record Pool, uh, Tables of Distinction, Eardrum. But, like, on the West Coast, it was the pros. It, uh, it was Rico. It was VIP. No, not VIP. It was Sure Record Pool. It was um, Soul Disco out of Frisco. They, they, were, they were probably the second biggest. Influence of radio. I mean, we were definitely number one because we were a spinoff of Impact, and Danny ran L.A. And the reason they they wanted us, to, me and Roger, to start one is because all the black pool directors did not like Rico Casanova, the pros in the Bay, and he was trying to move out this way. They're like, no, too, you got to take him out. So me and Roger, with the help of all the other black record directors, record pool directors, say, you know, we got to start a pool. You got to start a pool. So we started Jam City. And the way I made mine different and the way that <clears throat> we established ours is we went after straight radio mixers. So we controlled pretty much the West Coast BDS and media-based spins. I'd get more spins from my DJs than the top ten markets in the country. And uh, I had a lot of influence with all the program directors. I had dealt with like 14, 15 radio stations. And, 
You know, that's why we were the most influential. There'll never be a record pool made up of radio mixers that's that influential. Like I said, the, the ones that even come closest probably sold disco out of the Bay Area because they had a lot of those Bay Area DJs back in the day. And the Bay Area is another area that broke a lot of records. I mean, Central Valley's always been known for breaking records. They break here before anywhere else, break here before L.A., break here before. They, if a record's going to break, especially in the beginning, early stages of hip-hop as well. I mean, it broke out of Central Cali or it broke out of Northern Cali or it broke out of both of us at the same time. Um, and then you had another influence up in Seattle. So, you know, a lot of people talk about K-Day and Greg. I love Greg. Greg did so much shit with his, uh, when, when he flipped K-Day 24 hours, being the first 24-hour rap radio station, but he wasn't the first. Not by, You know, he was way after I was. You know, we were the first ones to put it in the mix. Um, as far as... Um, hip-hop mixed in with R&B and funk and disco because that's what really, really what it was when it started. It's a mixture of all three of those or all four of those. Um, but, yeah, and you know, but Ice-T was the shit and McCola was the shit. You know, matter of fact, DJ Flash came shortly after I did. He was about a year after me because um, back in the day on the West Coast, it was me. I kicked it off, and Ness in Seattle was shortly after me. There was another dude, and him. his name was DJ Sweet, and he was out of some station. I think it was Stockton. Um, he used to have a little radio show that played hip-hop. And then you had um, you had DJ Flash out in Bakersfield, which DJ Flash is the, the first white rapper. Um, you know, way before Eminem, way before Third Base, way before the Beastie Boys, um, way before Vanilla Ice. He was the man. He was back in the in the 80s, in, in 1980. So, you know, he was, he gets looked over a lot, man. A lot of people don't give him the props he deserves, but dude, he was the first white rapper. Ness was really the first, the, he was right after me. So me and Ness are like, we go back so many years. Um, you know, and then you got people like Scotty D, who's like a L.A. street legend. You know, people don't give Scotty the props. They don't even give Roger the props. Roger should get so many props because Roger taught promoters how to promote. I mean, I couldn't even take his ass to the record companies because they fucking, like, the Met, Ken Wilson, all these guys would call me, T, don't bring Roger, because Roger would go in there and jack all their shit. He'd, tell you, he'd just <laughs> load up boxes and start carrying that shit out with a dolly. And they were like, uh, they used to lock their cabinets when he came. You know, but yeah. I learned a lot of shit from Roger, man. You know, there was a lot of people that came before me that I always give, I always pay homage to, man, because, you know. You got it, to, yeah. If it wouldn't have been for them people, bro, it, it wouldn't have been on me. If it wouldn't have been for my DJs, it wouldn't have been on me. There was people that came at the same time or even after me that I learned from, and I give them their props, you know. But it yeah. all starts somewhere. Somebody has to lay the foundation, you know. Absolutely. And and what makes your story so unique is you were so young at the time. I mean, I, I didn't start writing for Murder Dog until I was about 18, 19, and I just celebrated my 25th year you know, doing this. But you... Man, you go back to when I was born. You know, I was born in Dude, March of 78. So you were already like in seventh DJs, grade bro, like, at that point. Yeah, see, my, my, aunt, my aunt and my mom listened to a lot of music. They were always playing uh -huh. music. And then, and then one of our family friends, this guy named Glenn, used to have a record store. So I'd be hanging out at the record store all the time. Like, you know, yeah. eighth grade, uh, uh, not even eighth grade, like probably as a fourth or fifth grader. Maybe even a third grader. My mom like, what do you want to do? I said, drop me off at the record store. <laughs> I want to go listen to all the music that came out, you know. 
Because back then it was just like, man, I, I just loved music, bro. I wish I would have known more because I was young, man. I wish I would have documented more, filmed more, and, you know, had all this shit yeah. because I didn't know this was going to get this big, bro. You know? No, it, it completely time. blew up. I mean, the, the West Coast, you know, for me, um, you know, like I said, I started with Murder Dog, which is a, a legendary West Coast hip-hop magazine from the Bay, from Vallejo. Mm-hmm. Um you know, uh, I wouldn't be where I'm at doing what I'm doing. You know, yeah, so you know I got to give props to you guys for laying you guys, foundation. Like, magazines like you guys, like, showcase, like, 4080, uh, like, Impact, um, BRE. People don't realize, the so- even the source when it started in the beginning. I mean, these magazines were so fucking vital because, you know, everything was a blueprint. Now, see, wh- where I got lucky is... Okay, not only was I the first and the youngest um, yeah. program director and the first to play hip-hop on the radio, but, I, you know, I had the, the record pool with Roger Clayton and me had, um, and that was, like, the most influential pool in history. But I was also blessed because Jerry Heller told me years ago, man, I don't care what they say about Jerry, man. I love that dude. I miss him, man. It's like Uncle Jerry. But if it wouldn't hit for him, you know, you can have feelings and feel a certain way. You know, Jerry's biggest mistake is he didn't see Cube's potential, and he should have just paid Cube. Had that happened, you would have never had a death row. You would have, you know, Rufus would still be on top. Um, I mean, but he didn't pay. He didn't pay uh, Cube, and that was the, the issue. That was the biggest issue the whole time. That's the only mistake he made. But I mean, he if it wasn't for him, dude, half of the shit wouldn't wouldn't went down. But I remember one time when, when because I had worked for Rufus, that was the first one that hired me on full time to do their promotion. Uh, me and Doug Young, and um, Doug was a bitch. That was another motherfucker like Roger, dude. <laughs> that fool used to get paid more money than all of us, man. I mean, he got paid. I mean, he would tax the shit out of these labels. But yeah. it's funny, though, because, um, you know, I got blessed. And Jerry Hurley told I had told Jerry, hey, dude, I hope you're not tripping, man, but, you know, Brian wants me to do some shit of priority and fucking and Sugar them want me to do some shit at death row. You know, I, I didn't want to break that loyalty to Jerry. Jerry's like, no, fucking T, get your money. He said, I love Mo Vaseline. Every time they play that shit, they, I get paid. But that, this was before that, though. Or he had told me that way after. But I remember when it first started, I was just, like, real skeptical because I didn't want to. I just, I, I felt like I was crossing him, you know, because he's yeah. the one that gave me my shot. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I was so lucky that I worked. I was at one point I was contracted out by 33 different labels and 17 brands. But Jerry, it's because of Jerry. Jerry told me, he's like, T, why the fuck would you want to walk down, run down that hill and fuck that one cow when you can walk down and fuck them all? <laughs> and that's when, yeah. and that's when I became an. That was the best advice I ever got because that's when I became independent and I was working for everybody. I was, me and Scotty, and probably Nasty Ness. There's only a few of us that can say um, that we worked for Bad Boy, Death Row, Ruthless, Priority, No Limit, and Cash Money at the same fucking time. You know what I mean? There's, there's very few of us that can say that. And, you know, the reason why is because Suge wasn't tripping, Puffy wasn't tripping, because we got our jobs done. You know, and there's out of the 50 known promoters, there's probably about 50 that are well-known promoters that helped create that whole hip-hop culture, you know, because behind the scenes, if it wasn't for behind the scenes motherfuckers, you know, Doug Young mentioned in an interview, I think he did it with you guys about how we broke Cypress Hill back in the day and then how he was talking yeah. about how promoters should have got points. I think it was one of you guys' interviews. 
But yeah. we really should have, man, because if it wasn't for people behind the scenes that pushed these buttons and that the relationships, none of these, a lot of these records wouldn't even happen, man. You know, because they were yeah. going to drop Cypress Show, bro. I was getting paid by Buzztone, by Rough House, and by Columbia to work Cypress Hill. It's crazy. Um, and, and look, but look I remember, what happened. They blew yeah. the fuck up. You know, they could have either went, went by up. the wayside, like you said, and got dropped, or yep. if you guys hadn't put that effort into it, we might not, you know, see all this this, this stuff to, that they put out. So well, you know, what's funny though is because like right around right around the same time, um, Doug got a call from I can't remember the lady who was in charge of uh, Sony, but see, they were marketing to black uh, males, and that's a that was a huge mistake because they weren't ready for that nasally ass voice of B-Rills. And then they yeah. they were coming with a funky Phil one was their first single, and ain't nobody was feeling that because it was too different, man. They weren't ready for that shit yet. So I got a call from Ken Wilson about the same time Doug got the call from from homegirl that was run the product manager for Sony, and she's like, I'm getting truckloads of returns. She was telling Doug, and Ken called me and said, T, we gotta say, what the fuck can we do to save this record, man? They're about to drop Cypress Hill. I'm like, dude, first of all, you're playing the wrong fucking single. You need to flip it to the B-side and start playing Killer Man. And he's like, well, fuck, let's do it. I said, all right, I'm going to flip it. I'm at all my DJs, you're going to get mad spins on that shit, so get that shit registered. And I think he told me it was already registered. Um, so we started playing How I Could Just Kill a Man, and it completely blew the fuck up out of Fresno. And then me and Doug, Doug had called me. He's like, T, I got shit tons of product. I'm going to drop you off a gang of it. And I'm like, I'm already getting paid by all these fools, but bring me that fucking product, man. And so me and Doug yeah. hit all these fucking car clubs, you know, because the Latino Latino market broke that shit. We hit all the car clubs. We hit all the clubs. We hit everything between L.A. and the Bay and just lit this shit up, and then the record just started taking the fuck off. And, you know, How I Could Just Kill a Man became the single, and it's just, you know, it's history from there, man. We started hitting all, we were hitting all the weed smokers back then, back before they had, you know, when that shit was still illegal. Yeah. You know, but yeah, well, yeah, that, so that was amazing. Cool. Yeah, it's just we, we. I was blessed, man. I was young. I just wish I would have knew what I knew now. You know, because I would, like I said, I'd have so much more, um, you know, content. You know, because I had yeah. boxes and boxes of pictures when when Shug had us in Miami right after Pac died. I had we had that El Nino man in my office. This dumbass uh, contractor, well, supposedly he was one of my friend's father-in-law. Hired him to pour because I used my third car garage as my office. Hired him to pour concrete, and that motherfucker didn't put a drain in that shit. I had like two and a half feet of water when I came home, and all my oh, picture boxes man. destroyed. Dude, I had pictures with Prince, Michael Jackson. I mean, when they were starting out, man. I mean, well, not when Michael started out, but when Michael started his solo career, and like when Prince came out with Dust or not Dust Cry, was it Soft and Wet? That was his first single. And then Madonna too, man. Back with her Lucky Star and. And uh, physical attraction record. I had all these pictures, man, and then you know, um, all that shit's gone, man. You know, because of that flood. That's terrible. And then I was kind of like, yeah, bro. And you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll tell all these youngsters now: take as many pictures as you can, because see, I had this thing where I would tell my people that work for me, and I would tell my DJs, and I would tell my kids. Hey, look, man, these people are just regular people like me. Don't make me look stupid. Don't look like a groupie. If there's an opportunity for you to take a picture, you can get one. But And I didn't take a lot of pictures, man. I wish I would have because, you know, you can't get those moments back, man. You know? 
No, hundred percent right, man. I, you know, even with this podcast, see, I, I started it uh, in two thousand four initially to help promote interviews I was doing in Murder Dog, and then CDs I was reviewing. So I'd play the music I was reviewing and, and, and snippets of some of the upcoming interviews. I wouldn't play the whole thing, you know, that way they read it in the magazine. If I had known, but this was before YouTube. If I had known back then, I would have jumped on the YouTube thing way the fuck before. You know, before the Vlad and all these guys, but I didn't, you know, I didn't think. I was just doing it to help yeah. promote the magazine, just having fun, you know. Out of the love of the hip-hop, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because I, yeah, I, I, I was that I kid that. going to the record store every Saturday. You know, my dad would give me five bucks a week, and if I saved up enough lunch money, I can get a tape or a CD, you know, and, oh, yeah. and um, it just, it, and I'm still a collector to this day. Matter of fact, I just pre-ordered Ice-T's uh, triple album he's got coming out on vinyl, Jew, uh, Crime Stories. Did you uh, see that? Yeah, I heard about it, man. I heard about it. I haven't yeah. heard it yet, but I heard about it. But, yeah, I mean, Ice-T's a legend, man. I don't care. And, and, look, you know, you know, back in the day, I mean, we couldn't even get radio stations. You know, that's why it's, we're blessed to have stations like the ones that we had. And I wish it would go back to that because, to be honest with you, bro, yeah. Radio's gonna be dead in the next year, year and a half. Um, there's just nobody listens no more, man. And the reason no. being is because you had iHeart come in and fuck the whole game up. They don't know what the fuck they're doing. They haven't known what the fuck they were doing since day one. And uh, all I gotta say is fuck iHeart. And I wish they would go bankrupt. But see, they buy the stations in clusters. So when they do go bankrupt, it's one cluster at a time. But I would wish they would take the SEC would take back corporate radio. And just you know, outlaw it because you need independent ownership. You need personalities in that market. You know, radio's like the same twenty fucking records over and over. It's it's terrible, man. You know, I'm glad I'm not yeah. working a lot of this shit. There's a lot of good records that I could be working. A lot of shit that I turned down because you know this shit now, dude, is garbage, man. And the good shit, the good shit's out there. But either those promoters got, I mean, the, the artists got burned by some janky promoter or they hired somebody who didn't know what the hell they're doing and promised them all this and that, or they didn't have the budget, or or they would rather be out there trying to look good and floss, popping bottles at the clubs, wearing these designer gear, rather than invest in their own fucking career, you know? Yeah. You can't blow Absolutely. a record up without you you got to spend money, man. If you don't spend money to make your record happen, you're never gonna. You, you just, I mean, the chances of you blowing up on YouTube or, or Spotify, it's like one in a, like a five hundred million, bro. It's it's crazy, man. Truth. It very rarely happens, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, it like can happen, but, but yeah, exactly. That's it's just like a lottery ticket, bro. Same thing. But see, these kids just yeah. don't understand. To make money, you got to invest in your career, and you got to hire the right people. You got to surround yourself with the right people. Because if you get these fake ass, you know, I was just lucky. My, my, I broke so many records out of my market because I worked for all these fucking labels. I did all the hit, everything related to hip-hop, man, all the hip-hop movies, the soundtracks, whether I worked for the label doing the soundtrack or the most picture company promoting the movie, all these clothing lines. I mean, I used to work for Echo when that shit was so fucking ugly. Those clothes were Fubu, garbage, right? man. Huh? FUBU, Echo, yeah, Mecca, Sean John, shit, Fat Farm. I've done them all, all, all man, pretty much. Uh, all the energy drinks. I mean, we did Monster Red Bull when they weren't shit. They like the Pepsi, are you the one? Uh, what was it? Pepsi Pop Quiz. Coca-Cola, are you the one? The And One Basketball Tours. I mean, Tango Ray. We did so much shit, man. Anything related to hip-hop, man. 
you know, and, and yeah. it's unfortunate that, that, you know, the labels went away from that. Is What it was is we became too powerful for these labels because, you know, we had a lot of juice and they knew it. So they went away from us after 9-11 and they hired these brand ambassadors, which are a bunch of kids from, that don't know what the fuck they're doing, man. You don't just go to Walmart and pass out flyers because the parking lot's packed. I mean, that's 90, 80% of those flyers are going to be wasted. You know, if you're doing street shit, you got to be able to hit the right visuals. You got to be able to walk up into the clubs and get action. Um, you got to have juice. You know, back in the day, you had to have juice at retail. I got lucky because Violet Brown loved me. And I don't care. Violet is one of the greatest ladies on earth, man. Violet was so important back in the day. She could make one purchase and make your album go gold. You know, she had that much juice, but Violet gave me so much pull because I could walk up into any of her stores anywhere in in the world and take over all their display boards and put all my shit up. And she didn't have to manage a trip. She said, have them call me. She told them, give him whatever the fuck he wants. You know, and she always looked out for me. And, and then Tower started doing it, Sam Goody, Musicland, all them started looking out like that too. But Violet always looked out more than anybody. You know, so she's like so, and see, that's another thing. Violet don't get the props she deserves, man. She's uh, she like the first lady of, I mean, she she is probably the the only white lady that knows more about hip hop than any other white lady in the world. I mean, she knows yeah. her shit. She was just she's great. And then you know, like Sylvia Robinson, Sylvia, you know, the first lady of hip hop because she had Sugar Records. She had that hit Pillow Talk back in the. 70s or 60s, but I remember Sylvia called me and, and she said, I heard about your radio station. I said, yeah. She said, I'm going to send you this record that we're sending out. And it was the Sugar Gang. And we played the shit wow. out of it. I used to call her and say, look, I'm playing it right now, Sylvia, because it was like, I'd be like, oh, come on, like it's 7 o'clock at night, and it'd be like 10, 11 o'clock over there in New York. I'd call her, and I think she was in Jersey. I'd call her and say, hey, Sylvia, look, I'm playing that shit. So when it went when it certified triple platinum. I got a plaque, man, and and as far as I know, I'm the only one on the West Coast that had it. I don't have it anymore. It got stolen. Um, I think it was one of my ex's uh, brothers or cousins or some shit. But I don't know. I I couldn't prove who stole it, man. It, it never showed back up though. Oh man, that's that's terrible. But you still got so many plaques. I imagine you can't even count them all. All the records yeah, you worked over exactly. the years. And, and you know what? You to know. be honest with you, bro. I should have had a lot more. I got smart, and all the all the other record promoters will tell you, you know, how they got their plaques. They're like, fuck, we listen to T. What I told these motherfuckers to do, I said, you put that shit in your contract or you put that shit at the bottom of your invoice that every fucking record you work that certifies they owe you a plaque. And mine, in my case, I used to put it down... You owe me a plaque, you owe a plaque for my company, Jam City, and you owe three more to, for me to give to whoever the fuck I want that helped me break that record. So every time yeah. someone certified, I'd get five of them plaques from. And I had to put it in my contract. I mean, I didn't have to. A lot of the labels would just look out on GP, but some of them were like, you know, they forget, they forget about you because you got these executives that we help build that a lot of them do. There's, there's still some that I go way back with that still look out. They still call me. Like John Christian will always call me. Um, Ken Wilson will always call me when he has something. I mean, certain people always look out, and they always have. They always will. Um, but then you got the other motherfuckers that were like, try to use us like stepping stones, and, oh, we, we don't remember you now, but, yeah, motherfucker, I'm the one that put your ass on a pedestal. 
You know, and, and it's yeah. sad because, you know, it, there's no loyalty in the game like there was, bro. Back in the day, it was like loyalty, but, you know, on, on that same token, when a motherfucker showed me love like that, dude, I worked twice as hard for that motherfucker. You know what I mean? I want to yeah, make sure his record won, you know? But they don't have that anymore, man. And people, these kids don't understand. Nobody's always battling each other. I, I, the only time I go off is if somebody tries to take my shine or somebody tries to perpetrate, man. I hate that shit. But... I tell these youngsters, I'm like, man, if you guys would work together instead of hating on each other, you guys could, I mean, it's, you get a whole lot more with honey than you do with vinegar. You know, and, and relationships, you're going to meet the same motherfuckers on the way up, and, you, and they're going to be the same motherfuckers that are going to be there on the way down. So be careful how you treat people, man, because they're always, they, they might not remember you or what you did, but they're always going to remember the way you made them feel. You know what I mean? And, yeah, and I try I to teach my kids that same shit, you know. Yeah, it's 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 all a learning process, man. And like you said, over the years you meet some really good people, uh, but there's always those, those those haters. You know what I'm saying? That uh, they don't want to not necessarily just give you your props, but they uh, you know they they don't want to tell other people about you. Like, man, you can get your record. You know what I'm saying? Promoted by this guy, he he'll do a great job. You know, they should be putting you out there and, and supporting. You know, but they free people are easy to forget. Shout out to no, the ones not that only don't that. forget though. You know. Yeah, not only that, bro, but these motherfuckers they don't wanna they don't wanna see you shine, man. You know, that's yeah. why you get these same motherfuckers. You can have you can have a gang of people on your social media and only a couple of them will like your shit. The other ones will just look at it and pass you right by. Because they don't want to see you shine or they want you to do, either that or they want you to do good but not better than them. Or, you know, but like a lot of these people I I just I laugh, man, because I'm like, you know what motherfucker you can talk all this shit you want, man, but you even if you started right now and did everything you could, you still won't have the career as me and some of my comrades had. We just got lucky, man. We came in in an era, and and, and fortunately, I was I was uh, blessed enough to stay and continue it all the way to you know the mid two thousands, and I still do it now. But it's like lightweight now. The money ain't where it was. The projects ain't what they were. You know, I still get shit. You know, but. Um, I turn a lot of shit down because I've never been thirsty, man. If I don't believe in the record or the artist, I won't fuck with it. I don't care how much the money is. And if they insist, I'm like, all right, if I take this motherfucker, there ain't no guarantees, man. You know, I'm going to let you know. I don't think it can happen, man. So if I were you, I'd spend that money elsewhere. I'd go back in the lab and get something else because that record is not going to work. I think I've only been one wrong on one record, man. I hated that motherfucking Diggable Planets record, bro. I did not like that shit. I remember when Electra told me to work that, I'm like, man, I don't want to work this bullshit. Shit blew up. I was wrong about that one, man. That's one of the few yeah. records I've ever been wrong about. Well, well, looking back, you know, uh, uh, on all these records, man, what, what are some of the records that really st- stood out for you that you take the most pride in being able to help break? Well, I mean, there's, there's a couple. Uh, I broke E-40 out of my market in the click. I broke, I broke fucking Mr. Flamboyant. That came out of Fresno. Um, Lauren Hill came out of Fresno. Cypress Hill came out of Fresno. Mo Thug's family and Bone Thug's came out of Fresno. I mean, because, see, I had all these radio stations, and I had all the mixers. And, and not only did I have the mixers, but I was tight with all these PDs that loved me, man. You know what I mean? We just had relationships, and, and they look out for me. I'm like, come on, man. I need you to break this. And I, let, let me put in my mix show, T. Let me see what happens. I'm like, dude, trust me. And then I fucking tell my DJs, hey, put the pedal to metal on those motherfuckers. 
you know, and then it would just blow up, man. But, like, you know, 40, 40 broke out of my market. Cypress, I mean, shit, back in the day, I mean, we broke so many R&B records, even when I was at radio. Um, but, yeah, th- those got to be the ones that stand up. Pac, like, I met Pac at a car show years ago, and, and you know, Adrian Gregory uh, and Lila Stamberg uh, put me on his first record uh, when he was with Digital. And I worked everyone until the day he died, man. Every single one. So like all the death row memories, the ruthless man. Ruthless is my home. That's where I started, man. Doing promotion. Um, so my love for ruthless is deep, man. Um, death row. I and like I said, you know, with a couple of us worked Bad Boy too. I basically cut Bad Boy off when I found out that Puff was behind Pac. You know, we knew about that years ago, man. We knew that Puff had him took out. You know, they're they're coming with this bullshit stories, you know, they, oh, we haven't solved the crime. Motherfucker, you know Puffy fucking put the hood out. You know, everybody knows that. You know, and, and and he was terrified, man. He was terrified of death row, dude. Yeah, he was willing to go to the extreme, you know what I'm saying, exactly. to, to get rid of somebody who meant so much to so many people around the world. Uh, exactly. Puffy, man, he'll always be a bitch for that. Always. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. That's why I lost all respect for Bad Boy at that time. And I had my boys, man. Like, my boy Jay Stock was over there, but I think Jay had already left. You know, but, you know, I had I had a lot of, uh, you know, Mario Pizzini. I mean, I was cool with those dudes, man. But after they killed Jake in Atlanta, man, that, that started some whole different shit. That was on a whole different level shit. Snoop, you know, they can say what they want about Snoop. Snoop was just trying not to get killed, man. You know? Um, he didn't want to be caught up in that bullshit. And it was deep, man. It was deep as fuck, you know? But... Uh, they didn't sugar and trip on me, man, for some reason, dude. He knew I fucking did their shit, too. But I always had, you know, I always gave I always gave effort to all the labels, man. But, you know, Death Row was like, man, you know, Shug never as much. They could say whatever the fuck they want about Big Shug. I ain't mad at him. That dude used to break me off, man. I'd get bonuses, plaques, you know, all kind of shit. Like, he'd leave me and Scotty and Al Robinson from the Bay and Boxer in New York. He'd leave us in charge of everything. Oh, we were like his generals, man. So, and he paid us well, man. You know, they, they, uh, I can't say nothing bad about him. And Jerry, same thing with Jerry, man. Jerry, Jerry gave me my first opportunity. And I learned so much. A lot of people call him an asshole, and Jerry could be an asshole, man. You know what really pissed me off? I'm gonna give you some. I'm gonna put you up on something that a lot of people don't know. So I'm at Jerry Heller's funeral, right? And I'm kind of disappointed because a lot of the artists that were on Ruthless didn't show up. You know, I thought that was fucked up. You know. Bygones be bygones, man. If it wasn't for Jerry, none of you guys would have had a career. You know, um, I was there hanging out with Tracy, uh, Easy Zex, and E.B., E.B., his daughter. And, you know, um, you know, like a bunch of the artists came through, and, and they were there. But it's like that, that hate for Jerry, man, it was that's kind of fucked up. Because, like I said, if it wasn't for him, but I was so pissed because Irving Azov, you know, used to come sleep. You know where Irving Azov is, right? Uh, no, no. Uh, he's the one of the biggest Jews in the business, bro. He owned uh, Live Nation. He owned so many record companies, dude. And uh, he pretty much is like one of the power players in, in the music game. Um, anyway, Irving used to sleep on Jerry's fucking couch, man. And Jerry, when Jerry was in his career, basically begging that motherfucker for some, for some action on some artists or Label action or for something, man. Irving just fucking turned his back on Jerry, dude. And then he had the nerve to get up there and fucking speak at Jerry's funeral. I was like, 
I wasn't going to say nothing to him, man, but I thought I was really disappointed. I'm like, this motherfucker got the nerve to say that shit when he let fucking Jerry pretty much fucking starve his ass out. You know? That, that really Terrible. fucking pissed me the fuck off. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was pretty sad, man. You know, but yeah, Jerry, yeah, Jerry was, was always good to us, man. You know, we yeah. had him on the show a few times, and and uh, man, a real cool guy. You know, laid back and, um, <laughs> you know, uh, he had a lot of insight, man, because you know he worked like credence and shit in the sixties and. Dude, you that know, dude brought, uh, the, British in, brought the British invasion. Yeah, he brought yeah. the British invasion to the U.S., bro. He had, all the high groups of the 70s, Jerry was their fucking manager. Ario Speedwagon, 10CC, fucking everybody. Anybody, Journey, anybody you can think of that was huge, Jerry was their fucking manager. And he gave all that shit up to start Ruthless with Easy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but... Easy. Easy was somebody too who uh, you know didn't get the props he deserved until until no. recent years. There was a stretch after his death where uh, you know what I'm saying he wasn't really getting the love he should have been getting, you know. And I always thought that was uh, bullshit. Shout out to Sergio, man, uh, ruthless propaganda. He uh, for many years, you know, he he gave us the only uh, easy info that was out there because uh, Ruthless would, you know, they weren't running the websites at the oh. time. Um, Mika ran that shit into the ground, bro. Yeah. Ran it straight into the ground. You know, sad, you know. Um, you know, but, you know, I was thinking about that shit with Irving Azoff and Jerry. You know, when Jerry, Jerry liked to party, he likes to drink, man. When Jerry gets fucked up, oh, man. He would talk shit, so that might have been some of the reason. Cause he, I mean, he fucking embarrassed a motherfucker if you if you if he was pissed at you, you know. So he kept a gangster, yeah. man. What well, what was your oh, first yeah. impression of Easy E, man? What was he like when you first met him? Easy's cool. He was cool as fuck when I first met him. Yeah, it was cool as fuck. Yeah. Matter of fact, one time when I went to the uh, label, they had just moved to Woodland Hills. And one time when I went to the label, um, or no, no, I th- this was before that. Yeah, I met him before that, way before that. But when they moved to Woodland Hills, I took my son with me. And my son and little E are the same age. He like, hey, man, I'm going to take your kid in the mall. So he, my son, little E, Eric, and uh, the twins, the big-ass bodyguards that we had, we jammed in the mall. This, my son would come back with so much shit. You know, and then him and Eric, him and Little E would just sit there and fucking play video games and shit. I don't even think they, I think they had like the old ass Nintendo back in there, back in those days. Wow. He's a real, real down to earth guy. Real humble. Oh yeah, Easy was down, man. And you know, Easy, a lot of people don't know shit, but they try to, I don't like the way the he had that movie. You know, it's funny because when they did the NWA movie, now Terry Carter was in charge of that shit. He was about to write me and uh, Scotty D a, a check for like 250 racks to do all the promotion on the West Coast for that shit. The day after he got killed, you know. Um, so we never got that. We never got to work it. But had Jerry had some insight, the way they portrayed Jerry in that movie, the way they portrayed um, Easy like he was broke and he didn't have shit. You know, Easy had real estate, man. Easy wasn't no dummy. And I mean, the motherfucker had a heart to go. Yeah, he might have been a little gangster, but the dude would feed the whole fucking community, man. Uh, Christmas, he'd go buy truckloads of like box trucks full of fucking toys. Dude, he'd roll up the Toys R Us, 
buy them motherfuckers out and just go give them out in the hood, man. You know, a lot of people don't know that shit. That's that's real shit, man, to to do that, to be able to, um, you know what I'm saying, inspire the future generation and give them some hope, you know. I saw videos of him, uh, you know, like uh, uh, taking taking kids to to make a wish and stuff. He did a lot of stuff like yeah, that. He said too. Um, yeah, he should definitely, uh, you know, get the props he deserves because his vision, you know, really um, really jump started a family tree of artists that uh, are eating real big today. You know, oh, I yeah. mean. Dre, yep. Eminem, Cube, I mean, all, all that stuff, you know. Oh, I got, but you were I got there for M- it all. I got an M story for you. That's amazing. I got an M story for you, too, bro. What's that? Eminem. Okay, so back in the day, we used to have these big-ass music conventions. This one was in Miami. I don't know if it was called How, Jack the Rapper or How Can I Be Down or what the fuck it was, but... I, my wife was, at the time I was married, my wife was a bitch, and you're always taking off, I want to go. And then, then she bitched about the, taking the kids. So I, I took my three oldest kids and her, and we went up there. And I was on my way to a meeting with Ken Wilson, who was the president of MCA Records at the time, and Magic Johnson. Magic had that his own record label that was distributed through MCA. So I was like, fuck, I got to go see Magic, because Ken... Yeah, I didn't need to be there, man, but Ken Newell was a big-ass Lakers fan. I said, man, I want to meet Magic. So I was on my way. He's like, come through, man. Magic will be here. I'm like, cool. So that was the first time I met Magic. Um, but I was on my way there, and then, like, we were staying at the Eden Rock in South Beach, Miami. And um, they had, like, this, that big-ass convention. Then they had, like, a WWF. It was WWF back then, not WWE. But they had a big wrestling match out there. So my kids and my, my wife were going to go watch that. So I'm walking down there. Little blind kid tries to hand me a fucking tape. And I guess I blew him off. I didn't mean to. I wasn't trying to be rude. I'm like, hey, man, man, I'm late. Give it to my wife. You know, I'll check it out. So anyway, take it. we come back, take it home, like maybe six months later. Um, I, I'm going to work, my daytime gig. And I tell my wife, hey, I got a call with Interscope, a conference call. You need to be on it and take notes uh, at this time, blah, blah. Just let me know what they say when I get home. Because I used to have a jump on my conference calls when I couldn't make them, right? And then, uh, so I get home, and I'm like, hey, so what happened? She's like, oh, that package right there is yours. That just came today. That was about the call. And I opened it up, and then it was it was a Slim Shady record. And she's like, oh, you remember that little blonde kid that you blew off in Miami? I'm like, no, not really. She said, you know when you were walking to go meet Magic? I said, oh, yeah, yeah, the one I told you to get the tape to. She said, yeah, well, that's your new priority. His name is Eminem. And this is his record. And, oh, that's another one. Slim Shady broke. I, my name is broke out of Fresno as well. That one, um, a lot of Warren G shit, Sugar Free, uh, Delinquent Habits, uh, Cycle Realm. I mean, dude, I got so many that came out of this area. But yeah, so dude, I, I blew Eminem off, man. Not knowing, you know. You imagine if I would yeah. took the time to listen to that motherfucker. Oh yeah, yeah. And a, might, a, a yeah. bunch of people don't feel bad. A bunch of people did the same yeah. thing. They didn't think, uh, you know, he he wanted to be um, down with Esham, you know, yeah. and and uh, and others, you know, from Detroit that were before him. Um, yep. But uh, Sir T, we got uh, I'm gonna bring on the homie DJ Lord Sinister from France. I know he's got a couple questions for you, and then um, 
then I want to give you the floor, man. It's been a hell of a hell of a show, and I definitely would love to have you back again in the future as well if you're down for that because I imagine you got stories for for, for years and years and years, you know, Dude, just I like got, Doug. I Shout out to Doug Young, too. You know, yeah, Doug's my boy, Doug. man. And, and, yo, man, it, it's important for magazines and, like, you guys and, and podcasts like this to keep it real because you know, people need to know, man. Yeah, you got to. You got to. You know, that, that, that's one of the things, you know, a, a lot of these podcasts, they just go after, you know, um, you know, the, the artists and stuff. We try to get the people behind the scenes. You know, I was one of those guys that read the liner notes on the and the tape, you know, um, on the back of the record or the CD, and find out who the engineer was, who the producer was, who, who the fucking A&R was, you know. All that stuff, because uh, you, you see, guys play a right huge, a huge part in, in breaking these records. You know what I'm saying to the masses. Uh, just like um, you know, what I'm saying rest in peace to late great DJ Ready Red. You know, uh, yep. he was the, he was the guy that made Tony Montana sing on the record before anybody, and and rarely does he ever get props. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but exactly. here's DJ Lord Sinister from France. Sin, you there, brother? Yes, yes, sir. Uh, it's called I uh, Don't Know What You Wish. Uh, yeah, let's join the game. Um, can I tell us about your program you did in uh, 1979 on West Coast Radio? It was the first to accurate hip hop funk, and um, it was the same with the French DJ, uh, was named DJ, uh, I don't know him, as a day, he gets about hip hop. In a, in a you breaking up, brother. Yeah, you breaking he, he up really bad, he, man. He was he he's uh he sent me the question. He basically said, um, you know what I'm saying, tell us about uh you know, the first record that you broke uh on the West Coast in seventy nine, the first hip hop record. Is that right, Sin? Yeah, yeah, right. Right. Yeah, the first hip hop record was it was a white label test press of the Fatback band. Um I happened to be at Polygram the day they came in, and they used to give, like, you know, radio stations white-label test press that would come out in advance, like, to pre, pre-screen the album. So I took it home that night, and I listened to the whole album. I'm like, fuck, I heard Kingdom the Third. I'm like, man, this is different, dude. I got to play this shit. So I played it on my show that night because back then, I mean, we didn't have to follow playlists. I could play whatever the fuck I wanted. I could play album cuts, B-sides, anything I wanted. So I just threw it on, man, and the phones lit up. And, you know, that was the first time a hip-hop record got played anywhere in the world on the radio. And that was probably, I think, the 2nd or 3rd of March, 79. Matter of fact, I'm still in touch with... I'm still in in touch with King Tim and uh, Jerry Thomas and Bill Curtis of Fatback. Yeah, we still stay in touch on radio. They 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 even know I broke that record. <laughs> That's crazy. That's and then and then I got lucky because uh I got hit up by my boy Dave McLeese. He used to be at Rhino and Rhino's like, dude, I'm putting the fat back the fattest of fat back together and I gotta have you help me, man, 'cause you 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 know, you go go back with fat back. So I helped put that compilation together. The fattest of fat back. And so that's that's a trip though, man. That was and that it was also the first gold single I ever got, or the first gold album was for Hot Box. 
That was the first gold record I ever got for the Fatback Hotbox album. He wanted to know about, did you know about the hip-hop pioneer in France, uh, DJ D-Nasty? D-Nasty. I've heard of him. I can't remember his story, but I've heard of him. He won uh, the GMC in uh, 1987. Oh, that's what I know him from, the DMC. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah, uh, France has a lot of hip-hop fans, man. People... People don't realize how important, like, some of these other countries are with hip-hop because, I mean, once you went international, dude, I mean, and there's artists here, like, for example, let me give you a, a perfect example of, like, Cycle Realm. They make no money here, but they get paid when they go overseas because, you know, it's a, just a different kind of, kind of like that crazy hip-hop. And it's like, you know, Latino rap, I think we were a little bit early with that when we started it at Hitler. Um you know, but I did work the first ever help blow up La Raza. That broke, broke out of my market. That was the first Chicano rapper. And then I also helped, um, you know, who else was it? Oh, the first rap group. The first Chicano rap group, Brownside. And I worked there yeah. too. There's a lot of, I mean, yeah. I've done so many different records, bro. And, you know, I, I was just lucky, man. I was a young kid, and I was just blessed, man. I had the right opportunity, met the right people. and just, man, I just went for it, dude. Yeah, and Vera Colt they were not in France. Vera Colt they were in France. So, so. And you write for Mayi Cola, is really underrated. DJ Flash is a legend because if you put it down, digital underground, digital love of DJ Fad, and on Battle Cat in, in 88, Arabian Prince, and, and so much. So Mayi Cola is, is legendary for, for West Coast rap. Yes, he flashes Flash. coming out with. Flash is coming out with a book um, this year uh, called The Echo Never Dies. And, see, that's one of the true stories of West Coast hip-hop. And, like I said, they never give Flash the props he deserves. He's the first white rapper. He he was about a year after me. So he's one of the the pioneers of the West Coast as well as far as radio. Um, And, well, not only radio, but as a rapper. Um, You know, and Nasty Ness. Ness Ness gets some of the props, but not enough. Violet Brown doesn't get the props. There's a lot of people. I mean, people like Al Bell. Al Bell, man, you know, McCullough Records. I mean, Bell Records, he was he was a man, you know, and, and it's like, you know, then you got people that, that just, they get overlooked, man, because everybody wants to take that shine. And I just get mad when I see these interviews. That's why I like doing, you know, like Murder Dog's Cool, because I've seen some of your shows and your shit's real. You got some of these podcasts. Matter of fact, it was just a podcast with, I don't know what DJ it was. I can't remember, but he was saying how Q wrote all of J.J. Fat's album. That's not true, man. Um, you know, the, the girls wrote most of that shit. Q wrote some of it. But it's just like see, little stories like that. And I've got, like, you've got stories like, like L.A., you got LAPD saying they broke this. and that. L.A. never was first on a record, man. The last time L.A. was first on a record was KD, it was K-Day when Greg was there. After that, they've never been first on any shit like that. I mean, it, they've always added it later. They might have gave it a couple spins in the mix show, but everything's always broke out of Central and Northern California. You know, that's the biggest breakout market in the country. It's been like that for years, and you got a PD claiming that he did this, he broke it. No, you didn't. You solidified the record. I mean, you made it famous in your market because, you know, it's the number two market in the country. You know, but you didn't break it. When you break a record, you're the first. You, it breaks out of your market. You're the first one to play it on the radio. That's breaking the record. You know, 
when you when you jump on the record or help blow it up, that's different than breaking it. So you can't use the word break if you didn't actually break it. And they see that's what pisses me off. You know, and there's there's stories like that, and then there's people that act like. You know, I got people that came out of my market years after me that they don't mention us at all, man. They don't mean, but we're their OGs, you know? We're their OGs, man, and they, they will never try to let that shine go away from them, but they know, like, you know, they know. And because everybody here knows, you know? There was yeah, only we, certain motherfuckers back in the day that had to pave the way, you know? We we always try to pay homage. Yeah. Like, I've had many uh, writers like Charlie Braxton and Soren Baker and those that were before yeah. me. Uh, on the show because if it wasn't for them, there would be no platform for me, you know. Um, same with you, brother. I mean, if it wasn't for your hard work and, you know, who knows where this music shit would be if it wasn't for people like yourself and, and Doug Young and, you know, um, it, it'd be in shambles, you know. Look what shit, look what it is now, though, man. That's the fucked up part. I believe if if a group of you guys came back and, and, and somehow got, got control over the industry, you could fix it because you started. Oh, yeah, we could definitely fix it, man. You know what? You know what? One thing, though, I'll give props. I mean, Adrian is not old school like me. He's, he's well, he's old school, but he, he don't go back as far as I do. But Adrian Miller's still doing his thing, man. Adrian's killing yeah. the game right now. You know, he's one of the few that are still left that are out there just mashing, man. You know, John Christian. John Christian's a radio indie. That motherfucker, he's a, he's a double OG, too. He's killing shit as well. See, like, I consider myself a triple OG because I'm back in the 70s, man. Anybody after yeah. that, anybody, like, after 84, 85, I consider him a double OG. You know, and then, and, and, like, I don't even consider a DJ or a music somebody in the music game an OG unless they got at least 25 years, man. You know what I mean? Because you got to pay, you got to put in your work, you know, and pay your dues. And then a lot of times people say, well, what about so-and-so? Well, so-and-so was there for, like, six months and gone, you know, and then he never did anything else. I mean, so you can't really call anybody else relevant if they didn't stay in the whole game for at least quite some time to put in work, you know? And that's yeah. where I, like, you know, bump heads with people because they try to say they did this and they did that. Like, for how long, motherfucker, for a year? You know? I mean, I did this shit. I looked at the hip-hop and R&B records that I've worked since since whether it would be uh, breaking them as a DJ, program director, you know, back in 79, because all the shit they call old school was brand new records back then, you know, and, and whether breaking it there, being the first radio station to play it, and, or or whether it was a record pool director or whether they actually paid me for the record to work, I've worked about 97% of the greatest fucking hip-hop records of all time, you know. And that's no that's joke, man, because I was kind of thinking I would everybody, you know. They See, had that, to come to me. They wanted to fuck with this a, area. They had to come to me, you know. That's why and it's uh, the same I thing. Like dope see a documentary or um, a book. Do you, you ever, you ever want to do something like that? Yeah, you know what I need to, man. Everybody keeps telling me that. I mean, Splash wanted me to write some pages for his book and, Scotty's been telling me that shit. I need to, you know, like like I said, Scotty's got a, a book coming out this year and a video or movie documentary called How the West Was Number One by Scotty D. Spencer. That's something that West Coast hip-hop fans really need to get their hands on. Also, like, Flash is going to come out with a mini-series of books called The Echo Never Dies. That's something you need to get your hands on. Uh, Sean Kennedy 
is coming out with some film or some documentaries, uh, some shit. Sean was one of the, the Bay Area legends that did it real big up there. He's coming out with some shit that you really need to get your hands on. And Octavius Miller was another double uh, OG from the West Coast that did a lot of shit back in the day. He's coming out with some shit. You know, like I said, out of all the promoters, probably about 50 that are well-known, but only 10 of us were like the, the godfathers of the of the, of the the promoters. We're the ones that had everybody's shit. You know, and, and like yeah. I said, the ones that are still doing it now, like I said, Adrian, Adrian Miller's doing big things now. Um, uh, who else? My boy, A.D., Anthony Daughtry still doing shit. There's a there's a couple of people in the game that are still left that are doing things, you know that uh, that definitely you know put in their work, you know. But like I always pay homage to like all my OGs because I mean everybody has an OG, you know. Yeah. And uh, I like I said I consider myself a triple OG, but there, I know some quadruple OGs that school me like people like Cookie Gonzalez at Island. I mean, shit, Jesus Garver, Don Carter, shit. I mean, I could go on and on. I mean, I still remember names. Like, matter of fact, Alan Carroll just died, man, like two days ago. Alan was one of the, the OGs, man, triple OGs, quadruple OGs from uh, MCA Records, one of the first dudes to ever give me free records, man, you know? Man, that, that's one so, thing I always liked about this was the, the promo packages. I'd always get oh, yeah. uh, back in the day when they'd send the CDs and the press kits, and I used to love that, man. Now I get the electronic press kit with maybe a single, you know, don't get the full full experience. But uh, sorry, Shane, uh, you, you got another question too, don't you? I'm bad. Yeah, that's, that's the last one. Um, tell us about the, your, your reference that gives the success of, of Riker Lodge's of OGs you growing up career of Scarface and Ghetto Boys also. Oh yeah. Ghetto Boys and yeah. Scarface, man. What what was it like uh breaking breaking their oh, records? That was dope, man. Matter of fact, there's a picture I got posted there back in when we did the Ghetto Boys promo tour. But yeah, I got hired, I think uh who was it that ran that label? I think it was Lusty Wyatt that was running that back in the day, but but they're like, I got a phone call from Rapalot. They're like, hey, man, we want you to work our shit out there. We hear you the man. And I'm like, yeah, dude, whatever, man. Shoot it to me. Got that. And I got Greg. Greg Mack jumped on it because I was working with Greg at the time. He had a station in Fresno called KTAA, Jamming 94. And uh, and Greg threw it on. I got I got my boy e. Curtis Johnson at B95. I got... Shit, I think it was, uh, I got a bunch of these radio stations. I got all my mix show DJs on, and that record blew the fuck up, man. But that one in Scarface, um, and, you know, like I said, I had that in my contract, so I got to break a bunch of people that I thought were influential. I used to break off, like, retail. I'd break off uh, club owners. I'd break off radio stations. See, and I was lucky because I also had uh, KFSR, which was Fresno State Radio, and that station was one of the baddest college stations around. Back in the day, As a matter of fact, uh, some of the guys that came out of there, like uh, Danny Salas, is like the uh, I think he's the assistant PD, and at Q ninety seven, which is a hip hop R and B station, pop station, whatever you want to call it, out of Fresno, and DJ Irv, you know, they were both Jam City DJs too, and they were both they were KFSR DJs. So yeah, I mean Scarface was dope. Same thing with Scarface. I mean, he was, he's, Scarface Brad's a cool dude. But, you know, yeah. we just, I was just blessed, man. I got, 
I work so many hip hop artists that are stars, and I look back and I'm like, damn, I worked that. My kids will get mad because we'll be listening to radio stations, or I have it on uh, what's the Cool J's Rock the Bells or some shit. But um, you know, and then I said, that record come on, said, guess who worked that record? You think so? I know, Dad, you did. <laughs> it's crazy when I was there fucking record. You get something like that, You know, with Mac Dre, you did some some uh, some business too, also. Who Mac Dre? Right. Oh yeah, you know what Mac Dre, man. Uh, let me tell you my story about Mac Dre. So, the Rocker and Kyrie used to run Young Black Brother Records, and they used to spend so much. I mean, they were like, as soon as they came with the label, they called me like, "Hey T, we want you. We got this artist, blah blah blah. I need you to do this." I'm like, "Get it to me, man." We broke Mac Dre out of Fresno as well. Uh, and then he took off. Mac Dre was really regional for a long time. Um, it, it really, it really broke out of Fresno. Then it started picking up, and LA jumped on it. Other markets jumped on it, but he didn't really get huge until he died. Um, but I remember his dad. So we had him in Fresno. I just had him taking him around all these places, and then dumb motherfucker robbed the fucking bank on his way home. And ended up getting <laughs> locked up. But yeah. I did all this shit for uh, the Rock and Kyrie were some good dudes, man. They, they ran the Young Black Brother Records. They had like Ray Love, Mac Mall. I mean, yeah, that label was dope, man. Matter of fact, I just young ran Lay into a too. couple of uh, Young Lay, yeah, that. Young Lay. I just ran into yeah. uh, a couple of people from Oakland because we just had that Hip Hop Fifty, um, and they gave me Scotty and Ness awards over there in L.A. But um, I ran into my girls from 357, Oaktown 357, remember them? Yeah. Yeah, I ran into them. I ain't seen them girls in years. And then, matter of fact, I went up to go see Cube and Dub because and, Warren called me. He's like, man, I'm going uh, to be over there at, doing a show in SAC. I'm like, yeah, man, I'm going to go over there. I'll see you there. So I went down. And, and, you know, Warren, man, I love Warren. Warren's probably one of the most down-to-earth motherfuckers you'll ever meet in your life, man. I mean, this motherfucker will walk across the street to McDonald's without security. He don't give a shit. I mean, but he's just that kind of dude. And you know what? He gave me some props, man. That were, I didn't know he was going to do that. He just, you know, because I, I ran into him and gave me a hug. He's like, man, what you doing, bro? I ain't seen you in a minute. And I was like, yeah, you know, I've been just kicking it. And then he's like, man, and he totally was telling somebody, this motherfucker don't work all my shit. I said, man, I wish he was still like that. I wish I was making money like that. He's like, what? It ain't, it ain't like, I'm like, nah, man, it ain't nowhere near what it used to be, bro. But I mean, that's still good work but not like it used to. So he said, man, turn on your camera, and he gave me some props. Like, this motherfucker right here done worked all my shit, all quick shit, all cute shit, all short shit, and he just gave me some major fucking props. I thought that was cool as fuck, man. I put that on my Instagram, on my Facebook. Um, but, yeah, I, I then, then when I was walking, I was I was I w- went in to see Cube after the show and uh, Dub, and then I was walking out, and I looked at this girl, and she looked at me, I'm like, I know you. And then, sure enough, it was my homegirl from uh, Conscious Daughters, man. Oh, yeah. They, they were, they were dope as Paris with them yeah, out. They yeah, were dope that. as fuck, yeah. Scarface, yeah. I used to do all Paris and shit. I did all that, man. But, yeah, that, I, in my opinion, Conscious Daughters would have been one of the dopest female rap groups of all time had shit not happened and homegirl hadn't died. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hundred percent. Same thing with DOC, man. Same thing with DOC, dude. If DOC wouldn't have got his uh, uh, throat fucked up, 
in that crash, bro, that motherfucker, dude, he was so fucking lyrical, bro. I mean, that, this motherfucker is uh, probably so as lyrical as Cube. Classics. That, that No One Can Do It Better is one of the best examples of a timeless record. You know what I'm saying? You can listen to that like it came out yesterday. I want to ask you, though, you remember that group Criminal Nation? They had the... Um, they were out of Washington, maybe maybe uh, Seattle area, maybe Tacoma. They had an album yeah. called Release the Pressure. And the guy that was rapping, Womack, if you listen to him, he sounded just like the DOC. Of course, oh, yeah, he yeah. I noticed that back then, the man. DOC, but he sounded like him. I thought, man, you know, that's a... Uh, oh, Paris, you know, that even Paris had a little bit of that in him, too, when he came out, yeah. you know. You know, but, me, uh, you know what makes me laugh, man, about hip-hop, dude? It's like everybody's always knocking, like, Mix-A-Lot or, or uh, Vanilla Ice or, or fucking Ice. Oh, no. Vanilla Ice, Mix-A-Lot or Hammer. I'm like, man, I don't give a fuck what they say. Everybody fucking had Hammer. Everybody had Vanilla Ice. Everybody had Mix. On Broadway, you know? man. Swat. Yeah, you know, Mix, we broke. Ness, Ness hit me up, man, when he came out with that. He's like, T, I need you to help me break this. So that shit actually broke out of Seattle, Fresno, and uh, L.A., you know, wow. but that shit, that was a fucking monster, bro. That was a fucking monster. That shit still yeah, knocks mi- in my car, man. No, yeah, it makes a lot, man. That, you definitely had some some hits. But, uh, you know, Todd, man, I, I really appreciate you taking the time out to talk with us, man. This has been a very dope, informative episode. And uh, like I said, I'd, I'd love to have you back again in the future. Um but, man, before we get out of here, I, w- I want to give you the floor, you know, if you've got any shout-outs or anything you want to tell the people, man. It's all yours, brother. Well, you know what? I, I was just lucky, man. I was I was lucky. I was blessed. You know, the love I have for music and to be able to do it for as long as I have. Um, you know, but, it, hey, don't ever let anybody stop you from believing in your dreams and doing what you do, you know? Um you know, I always pay homage to your, your OGs because everybody got OGs. You know, I'll, I'll give props to all my OGs all the time, man. Like I said, there's people that came before me, the people came at the same time as me, people that came after me that I respect and, and appreciate because I learned a lot from these people, man. You know, the radio DJs are so important. The mix show DJs are so important. Not so much now as they were years ago because they really have no control. Um, record stores were really important back in the day. Magazines like yours were very important back in the day. Record stores, I mean, the lifestyle, the little mom and pop shops, everything in this game is about relationships. And unfortunately, a lot of the people now don't listen to that, don't understand it. But if you got relationships, you got longevity. It, you know, I'll, I've never tried to overpromise. I've always just underpromised and overdeliver. You know, because I think that's the best way to make it happen. But if you're a young artist, man. You need to research before you hire anybody because everybody will tell you they can do this, this, and that. But truth is, there's only a few of us that can do it, you know, and you need to know who those are and who the, who the has a proven track record. Cause that way you don't get salty when you invest in a bad with a bad promoter and waste all your money. And don't ever try to floss before you're balling, man. you gotta you got to crawl before you can walk. And I see a lot of these young rappers trying to come up, you know, and they don't know what to do, man. They'd rather floss, you know, look good act like they're balling, you know, pop bottles at the club, then invest in their own career. Get you a good producer, get you a good promoter, get you a good manager, get your social media on point. But at the same time, while you're doing social media, you still got to do the streets because I don't care what this new promotion's like, you got to combine new and old. 
And if you don't do that, you're never going to blow up. You, you know, don't don't think you're going to just blow up on social media because that shit ain't going to happen. That's very rare. It's like winning a lottery ticket, man. You know, you got you to gotta go grind for yours, you know. And, and if the first one ain't working, don't take it personal, man. If you go to the experts and they tell you, hey, that ain't the one, and it's probably not the one, and you need to go back in the lab and make something else, you know. But that's that's really, you know, what it is. You know, like I said, there's so many people that are, that have paved the way that never get the props. I'm glad shows like yours are on the air because people actually need to know what the real is, you know, and who the real players are. And you know, I just hope you this game gets a lot better. You know, that, that's some good game you gave uh, the listeners right there, man. Um, and, and take this man's advice because you know he knows he's been he's been in this for decades. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I really appreciate the history, and I appreciate your contributions, man. Uh, Hip Hop 50 definitely needs to honor people like yourself. Shout out to uh, Todd DJ Surti Welch, man. Thank you so much. And uh, let's do this again, brother. Real talk. No doubt, man. Thank you, brother. Anytime, man. Just let me know.